Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Forward Thinking Podcast. It's Chrissy here from CS2. Today on the podcast, we have Jason Whittup, who's the VP of Marketing at Metadata. And today we're going to be talking about a super important topic, probably top of mind for most marketers, but how you can um, manage a tight budget. So really tips for what you should keep, how you can cut your spend, how you can be creative, and also how to ask for budget if you're really not getting any. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Jason. It's nice to have you on. Hey, Chrissy. Thanks. Um, yeah, looking forward to our chat. I've uh, been listening, listening to a couple of episodes already. And so, yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Yeah, okay. So to start, we normally have people talk through their origin story. And I, th- I think you have a really good history um, having what I saw working in MOPS and uh, now to running marketing. So can yeah. you take us a little bit through how you got to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. I'll try and keep this <laughs> short-ish because, yeah, it could be a long story. But um, so back in 1976, no, <laughs> um, so I I have a business degree. I, just, I like to start there. It's like I just have this like general business degree. Um, and I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. I just kind of knew I wanted to be in business. <laughs> I didn't even really know what that meant. Um, and after and I actually was in the military as well. So I was in like the oh, Marine okay. Corps early on in my like in my life and uh and then didn't finish college until I was working full time. But during that time I got this job at AT&T Wireless and it started in customer service, you know, just like a normal, you know, hello, you know, what's wrong with your bill? And <laughs> I uh my mom, I had to go back to my mom. My mom was like one of the first women in mainframe computing back in the 60s. So she was like, wow. she took this aptitude test with all these guys that were at this, you know, she was like with this group of guys at this consulting practice. And she was one of the only people that passed it. And she was the like, so she got trained on like punch cards and mainframe computing. So like, I think she just had this technical aptitude. I probably, you know, got some of that from her. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. And so... While I was at AT&T in this customer service role, I got an IT position. You know, I laid this IT project manager mm-hmm. position. I was like, oh, it just made sense. You know, everything just kind of like worked. And I just kind of, you know, it kind of clicked. So I was like, oh, maybe I should be in IT. And so that was really where the technical side started. Um, and then I, at AT&T, I saw all these consultants running around, these young consultants. And I was like, I want to be one of them. You know, I was like, this sounds fun. They're all flying in from like all over the country and they're staying here for weeks at a time and they're in their young, like early twenties, just out of college. I was like, that's, these are like, you know, PWC folks, you know, back in the day. Um, And I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to do that. And I wanted to do that because I was like, I can bounce around a bunch of companies and see how things go, you know, but not Mm. actually have to bounce around a bunch of companies. And so, but I didn't have my degree yet. So I finished my degree and I got on with a, a firm and they said, have you ever used Omniture? And this is basically, you know, like, um, uh, what is it called today? Now I can't even think of what it's called today. Um, Adobe Analytics. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and have you ever used it before? It's like, no, I don't even know what it is. I'm like, well, Expedia is over there. They're replacing their homegrown one with Omniture. Why don't you go over and do it? So that was really my first foray into kind of marketing analytics. And then that just progressed. And so I got to know uh, web analytics really well. And so then I actually went and worked for Web Trends, who was like one of the better oh, yeah. um, companies back then. And, you know, they ultimately sold to Cisco, I think. Um, and that's where I just kind of that's where it started. And so when you're in analytics, kind of deep in analytics th- those days, um, 
it's like how all the market, all the marketing technology kind of started with tags on sites. You know what I mean? And like, what can we get from, you know, the data on these sites and like all of that is really, there's a lot of analytics involved in that, you know, and like we needed tags and we needed to know how to flex the tags to report on the things that we wanted to report on on the websites. And so I just got really good at MarTech, you know, at the same time. And, um, and so that's where it grew to ops, you know, operations and just like, oh, this makes sense. Um, did marketing ops at a couple of places, uh, had a 70 person marketing operations team at Tableau. Um, that was where things got a little, maybe over my head, I think, where I was like, um, I'm a solutions and like fixer person. Mm-hmm. And with a team that size at a place that was that stuffy and enterprisey, um, I just kind of got lost. You know, it was just yeah. like, my job was all meetings all day long, mostly one-on-ones. Um, politicking, you know, which I'm really bad at, um, and ultimately got fired from Tableau. Um, and that was like a wake up call. It's like, okay, maybe that was not exactly what I wanted to do. Um, and took another ops role at Workfront. Um, and then I was like, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready to get out of ops and I'm ready to, and not that I like was looking to do it, but I just really, you know, I, I was always in these marketing ops leadership roles. And so I was always in the leadership team meetings, right? With all the other marketing leaders. And so just through osmosis, I just learned, you know, a lot of it was at Tableau. You know, we had an amazing CMO there, uh, Lisa Fink. And I just learned so much from her. And I was just like, I wanna do this, you know? And she, cause she started Tableau, she was like marketer number two, you know, and she grew it to billions of dollars of revenue. And so, and she would talk about those old days. I was like, that sounds more like me, you know? the startup. And so then I started looking for a startup to lead marketing at, you know, instead of just the ops. And again, I say just the, but just, you know, instead of ops only, I was like, I'm ready for the whole thing. And so luckily I found metadata and Gil, our CEO is very technical. He built the first version. So we got along, you know, because he wanted as a, from a marketers, from a marketer perspective, he wanted somebody that was very ops focused, Mm -hmm. analytics focused, um, technical, you know, could, kind of hack my way through some of the systems, et cetera. So we got along from that perspective. Um, but then at the same time, I was just like itching to try my brand chops. You know, like I used to be this person that thought, oh, marketing is a math problem, you know, and I can math my way out of anything in marketing. Um, and then through these last three years of being here, I've really changed my tune. And now, mm-hmm. especially in MarTech, you know, when there's so many other tools that we're competing with, um, yeah. brand is really how we stand out, you know? And so I've just really loved um, being the first marketer hired here, really growing the brand and, you know, into something that's, um, you know, at least from a demand gen marketer's perspective, um, pretty well known and um, uh, and and, and liked, I guess. And yeah. so, um, so yeah, so that was really the, I know I just took like 10 minutes, but that was, uh, yeah, that was kind of how I got here. No, I, I think it's good because well, I think one thing is kind of a few things that you touched on, I think are really important for people here. Well, one is like kind of figuring out when something isn't working for you, especially when it comes mm-hmm. to like management. Like I think a yeah. lot of and this happens to people a lot where they're like, oh, I'm now managing a team. I'm not doing the things that I love. Um, engineers have like IC roles and they can build yep. out their teams, but you don't really see that a lot in marketing. And yeah. so I, I do think over time we'll maybe start to see that more because 
you're not setting people up for success. We're like, I don't want to manage 70 people. I just kind of want to maybe manage a smaller team or do my own thing and really flex the skills that I'm really good at. Uh, So I feel like for those of you who are feeling that way, like there maybe are other options and then maybe a startup's right for you. Figuring out what's right for you, I think is good. And then moving into like the marketing side, I think what's really smart about you at metadata is like really having empathy for um, your buyer, right? Like yeah, yeah. You're, you're selling to demand gen, but, all, but most likely you're selling to a marketing outsourcing who's really going to make the final call and maybe help if there, if there is one there to do that. So as far as like brand and really like what's going to resonate with the buyer, I think you have a great history to know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I thought, you know, especially when you're a marketing ops leader at these large companies, you're the primary target, right? For selling. Right. And um, in smaller companies, not so much, but in larger companies, for sure. And so being in these marketing ops leadership roles for that period of time, I was just, you know, I would go, I've gone through so many marketing and sales cycles, right? Mm-hmm. And through going, through going through all of them. Yeah, I guess yeah. that's right. Um, yeah. I realized what I liked and what I didn't like in those totally. processes. And I wanted to replicate here what I liked because, I realized I didn't, I wasn't the guy that just went out and bought, you know, the tools that were in the top right of the magic mm-hmm. quadrant, you know, like that wasn't my thing. I actually, I thought it was my job to find these niche new tools that, because it was like, my thought process was, well, if I just use the same everybody else is using, then I can kind of expect the same results, you know, like that's mm. kind of how I tell, what, what I tell myself. Yeah. But if I can find these niche tools, it's like, Every company has got some uniqueness somewhere, right? In their funnel. Mm-hmm. There's something unique about, you know, either they get stuck here or they get stuck down here or, you know, there's just something unique in in everybody's funnel. And my approach was always like, let me find that little niche technology that can fix this one little thing, you know, and then and be okay with cobbling together multiple technologies. So like being technology first a little bit, because then I've set up my own stack without an all-in-one, you know, kind of solution. Um, And I can actually compete on that. You know, I can have some differentiation in the technology I use. And so, so anyway, um, having gone through all those sales cycles, it was the ones where they cared about the relationship. Mm -hmm. And they were, I could tell they were there to like consult with me and make sure this was the right product for me. You know, it was kind of like, hey, I don't want to sell this to you if if I can't tell it's right for you. You know what I mean? It's like that totally. kind of a mentality, which I love, you know, because then that just builds that trust. And mm-hmm. and then also what I realized is these smaller companies can be nimble too. So it's like, they really want to work with you and then they'll make changes to their platform, you know, that's like specifically for you because they can. And yeah. you're one of maybe, you know, a hundred customers or less. And um. And so I, and then looking at our audience, it was like, okay. And I, I remember I wrote the first brand key for us and it was the first brand key I've ever written. And I was like, okay, I want, and I just described it in this way. It was like, you know, when you were in college and there was that friend <laughs> that was kind of nerdy, but also so smart and witty that they just cracked you up, you know, but they were humble at the same time. It's like, that's what I want our brand to be like. I want our brand to be that nerdy person in college that like still cracked you up all the time. Um, and so that's, and so that's what we've done, you know, tried to do anyway. I don't know, maybe, I don't know if that's, if it's worked or not, but that's always been the, like, 
uh, the avatar, I guess, you know, that we're, yeah. that we're going after. Um, I think it's working, especially on social. Yours is social strategy is great. I know Justin Simon, I think, works on your team. And yeah. um, I've even had people on my team take his course um, before. Nice. But, <laughs> so uh, shout yeah. out to him. Um, but also to you guys, like the brand is just, it really resonates. I think like that it, it's a, and it's a breath of fresh air, I think. But it, it's like having that, like you even t- picking your technology, like, oh, I want to not do the same thing that everyone else is doing. And it's the same thing with like how you approach your brand, how you guys even yeah. do um, PR, like when you put out your, pre- like you don't even do traditional like press releases. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm, had your mm-hmm. own like media junction, like being able to take those risks and and go against like what everyone's doing. I think that's um, pretty admirable, <clears throat> but also you like you feel that, it translates then into the brand. It's something that gets noticed and you don't have to fall into these, you know, fallacies that like you have to spend a lot or you have to play Mm -hmm. the game that everyone else is playing in order to get the same results. Yeah. And those efforts are now, now that, because we're having to, you know, we're going to talk about budget cuts here and like, we're having to go through some cuts in budget now as well, just like everybody else. Well, I shouldn't say that. Most people I talk to. Um, Most, yeah. Yeah. And um, and we're having to find, you know, and we're just like, hey, we got to find creative in different ways, even from what we were, you know, what was working before, mm-hmm. um, because our goals didn't change much, you know? And so, um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people are kind of going through some of the same stuff right now. But when yeah. you build a brand that's really strong, mm-hmm. and then you've got to cut some budget, you can start to actually rely on the brand more. And that's what I'm starting okay. to realize now is because, for example, like we have community, you know, we have mm-hmm. different things that we do, like a demand event coming up. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> we used to just fund all of it ourselves because it was like we didn't want to get mixed up and make it be, you know, salesy or share leads. You know, we're not like a big lead sharing, you know, like company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like, oh, let's not do sponsorships. But now we're like, OK, budget's cut. Um, Let's look at sponsor. Maybe we do some sponsorships. But now that the brand is strong, people are like, yes, let me, you know, can I, can I sponsor? Um, Mm -hmm. And then we can dictate more of the terms so that we can still keep it non-salesy, you know, the way we want to, um, but still start to self-fund some of the things, you know, and I'm not even trying to make money off of it. You know, I'm just like, hey, let's actually just charge enough so that we can self-fund this stuff for the community, you know? And Mm -hmm. so like... um, so that was another, I guess, like benefit of focusing on the brand that totally. I didn't really know about until recently. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, we've, I think I've talked about this a few times on the podcast about brand. Cause I, I think a lot of time right now, people like your cost of acquisition essentially goes down because, mm-hmm. and also brand, but also happy customers, which is part of your brand, but like, they're going to speak on your behalf and then yeah. people are going to come to you direct. And so it just makes the, yeah, you're, you're less, less reliant on these like more capture based tactics, which one have a very low conversion rate. And then two, especially if you don't have a strong brand, yeah. uh, but then two, you know, have cost a lot of money. So, um, I think for those who didn't like kind of invest in the brand and there's a lot of things you can do like free, but not really, mm-hmm. but can make your brand stronger. So, uh, but speaking of budget, 
right now, many marketing teams, like you said, are being faced with budget cuts. It's just the reality right now. Um, what areas do you see like most get slashed first and why? And do you agree yeah. with uh, that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I have the luxury of marketing to marketers. And so I get to talk to a lot of them still, you know. Um, yeah. And the ones I've talked to, and even including myself, you know, most of us start by cutting some some type of program spend. You know, mm-hmm. um, we're looking at ads, we're looking at sponsorships, you know, influencer um, uh, programs, you know, those kinds of things. But uh, what I saw was a lot of the folks I talked to, they were cutting kind of like without a lot of data behind it, you know, and mm-hmm. I think that's where, or they had like vanity metric data that they used, you know what I mean, to cut. So things like click-through rate, you know, cost per click, maybe even cost per lead, which, you know, it's a little bit better. But but what I like to do is, you know, obviously look at the things that have an effect on revenue, you know what I mean? And so, you know, okay, cost per lead is high or low, whatever, but what's my cost per opportunity or what's my cost per dollar of pipeline, you know, for these these different campaigns? And so I like implore people like you have to have this stuff set up, you know, before something like this happens so that you don't, you're not rushing to like, mm-hmm. oh, we have to get this set up because oftentimes you can't get the historical data back, you know, as we all know, um, yeah, if you're not tracking it right from the beginning. And so, um, so just making sure you're looking at the right things to cut, you know, when you're looking yeah. at the programs and this is the easy one, you know, and I think here's what happened with me and here uh, with us at metadata, when you have budget, you spend budget, right? And it's not because of some weird, like, oh, use it or lose it. You know, we're not like that. But when you have it, you're going to spend it, you know, and because like you should, you know, and (laughs) and especially if you're not meeting your goal, if you're not meeting your goals and you didn't spend all your budget, it's like, what's wrong with you, you know? Um, And so, so I think like making sure you understand what, what in there is worth, you know, is cutting, but then also then you look on the people side and you need to have enough people to run the programs. And so that's where you want to like, sometimes I see companies also like they cut people first, you know, thinking like, oh, I need to keep my program spent. And then it's all of a sudden like, oh, shoot, we don't have anybody to run the programs because these things are not, it doesn't matter how much technology we have, like it still takes so much time to run, especially like in ops roles. I like to say this because I've experienced it. And I like to say this because a lot of marketing leaders like myself don't understand it, but ops roles are hard to estimate the amount of time something's going to take, right? So like, or just ops projects, not even roles, but just, mm-hmm. you just never know, right? Unless you start, you start to dig in and you're like, oh mm-hmm. man, no, <laughs> it's like, oh, I just, I was hoping that wasn't the case. Now I got to go fix this, you know? And oh, you just follow these rabbit holes, you know, and you totally. have to a lot you of the times. To. You have yep, to. Yep. To Part uncover and to do why it right. We don't sell projects um, because yes. we would have nice. to charge really big buffer or yep. we would lose a ton of That's money smart. because yeah. we just know, ne- you just never know walking into <laughs> no. something, what it's going to be like. So, uh, yeah, a hundred percent agree. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, and so, yeah. So it's like, it's, it's, making sure you have enough people still, you know, to run Mm -hmm. the programs. Um, But what's nice-ish about times like this is that 
oftentimes when you have the budget and you're spending it, you're, you just get fat. You know what I mean? It's like you're spending on things that probably don't have real impact because mm. you just don't have time really. You're just like, hey, gro high growth mode, high spend yeah. mode. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes you're just like, it's working. I'm meeting my goals. I'm spending my, but, eh, my budget. So I don't have to go and look into it, right? So it's like you spend your time on the things that need the time. And if you're meeting your goals and you're spending your money, you're like, that, that, that doesn't need my time right now. But often what that means is there's a lot of stuff in there that's probably not really optimized. Um, mm -hmm. And so with us right now, that's kind of what we're going through is, yeah, when we were, when everything was fat and happy, I was like, yeah, this is nice, you know, <laughs> um, don't have to look too much in there. We can spend our time on like creative new fun things, you know what I mean? And just like uh, trying new things and more experimentation. And then when it got a little tighter, it was like, <clears throat> um, okay, let's, you know, let's, let's spend some time, let's go through it, you know, with a fine tooth comb, let's make sure we really understand how these dollars are working. What can we cut and still not, you know, because a lot of times our budgets are cut uh, more severely than our goals are, right? right. So like, yeah, so that's usually, I don't know. Did anybody have like a one for one? Let me know. That'd be nice, you know. <laughs> no. <laughs> I can say from what I've seen, no. Yeah. And maybe yep. they do uh, have some goals that are cut, but they're never the right goals. Like your pipeline goals. Just yeah, right. Yep. It's just yep. like maybe what... Uh, yeah, so I, I agree. I think everyone's kind of feeling that. And then it's the marketer's dilemma, like, oh, wait, I'm expected to do, you know, the same thing, but with less budget. But I, I think I agree with you, though. Like, I think a lot of folks will then neglect like certain things around like the analysis part and really seeing what works and what doesn't because you're just like, yeah, I'm just trying. I'm in building mode. Like, yeah, I don't I'm not going to take the time to really go back. But I, I think this is also like a resurgence to then get like marketers and marketing teams just in that mode again. Like a lot yeah, of our yep. projects right now, or a lot of the initiatives that we're doing with our clients is more like, you know, reviewing their tech stack or looking yep. at uh, even the reporting that they have, like that you're talking about, like trying to see what's really driving opportunities and pipe pipeline and that's closing, right? Like exactly. not just the pipeline yep. that's just sitting there. So, yep. um, yep. I think like, but getting into those habits and creating frameworks that the whole team can use is just a good habit to get into that. I think a lot of teams just got out of, uh, mm -hmm. and I think back yep. like to kind of the last slowdowns or recession around like, 2010, 11, you know, post 2008, teams were being, I think we had less tools back then and we're still yeah. being more, you know, going through things with fine tooth comb. So I think you were just like coming to coming back to that and seeing how can we do the same, but with last two, because I think also yeah. people went on spending sprees. Yes. Oh, 100%. And their personal lives too. Yeah. Personal and business <laughs> lives. Um, yeah. And like what I, so what I, one of the things I like about working at Metadata is our founder is pretty frugal. You know what I mean? Um, sometimes that's not great, but like, and he's not, he's not to the point where he's like, he doesn't like to spend money on fun stuff, you know? So we get to, you know, like he yeah. likes to do that, but he's, he really wants to, he wants accountability to the dollars. You know what I mean? Which I like that. And I remember my first meeting at our office in San Francisco when we had an office in San Francisco, I'm coming from like, you know, Tableau and Workfront. you know, I'm just like these nice offices. I walk in, for my first meeting with Gil to our like startup cave in San Francisco. <laughs> I tell you, 
I thought I was like, where am I? Did I go? Am I in a third world country now? I was just like, <laughs> there was windows open, air conditioning wasn't working. It was the middle of the summer. There was chairs in disarray. They didn't work. I didn't know if I wanted to sit down. There were developers on the ground, you know, just like there was like, there was weed paraphernalia. There was like alcohol everywhere. I just, I was like, all right, you know, but what it told me in my mind, I was like, I love this. Cause on the outside, you know what I mean? We looked like a, a like a, a serious, you know, like going forward company. And here we are, you know, just like in a basement, you know, in this like, in like the tenderloin, literally in San Francisco, you know, didn't even want to go outside. It's like, can I just sleep in the office? Um, and so I love that, you know, and that, I, I could see that mentality early on and he carried that through. So like, for example, and he just, he just did a, a presentation on this. Um, after our series A, he was like tighter. You know what I mean? He, we actually got tighter after we got our cash from the Series A, which mm -hmm. like most companies, yes, let's go, you know, let's fix the stuff like that yeah. we, we're, we're living in, you know, Swaller or whatever that, you know, let's fix that. But no, we were like, actually, let's get a little tighter. And that was nice because it, our valuation actually increased in like six months and we got a bridge, you know, like loan between yeah. then and our like Series B at better terms. And we've just always been like that. So like when we do have to cut, it's not super, you know, it's the, it's, it's usually not dramatic because we've already been pretty lean, you know, we totally. keep lean. And so I really like, I like that, you know, I like leaders and founders that don't want to take a huge multiple and have to work, you know, three, four years to like get into that, you know, into that valuation. And, um, and that's, we did the same thing with our series A and B, we took a reasonable valuation, you know, um, and so, yeah, so I like that. And I think more marketers, you should at least have the capability to be, to tighten up. You know what I mean? Like, so that yeah. if you, when you have to, you, it's an easy decision. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh no, what do we do now? So it's like, at least be ready. You know what I mean? To like have to dig in and look at what you need to cut. So be ready with the data and just make your, make sure your stuff is set up in a way where um, you can get to those answers, you know? relatively easily. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think having that culture too, like you said, from like your CEO down, like, and just part of like the company kind of DNA, I think is good. And and one thing that I think people don't realize like, well, okay, what's the benefit of that? And he probably doesn't, it's hard with the startup. You can't really have like a profit first mentality, but really thinking about, okay, how can we make the most of our, our, money and not have to yep. make these huge cuts but it, it protects your people first too because i think that's where we saw a lot of companies like okay what what happened oh they had to cut their teams and their people and that's much harder to do than like hey let's just maybe change a little bit of our spend here and whatever yeah. but when people got you know over their skis you know like that that's where they're gonna look first that's a huge expense yep. for them and and then you then lose momentum. And like you said, who's going to run the programs anymore? Okay, now yep. we have to like scale back. So it's a much better place to be to have that kind of like way of looking at your company and how you're going to grow. And it's not, it's not bad. It's yeah. <laughs> people I think yeah. will get caught up in these numbers and big valuations, but also like, let's also focus on like the health of the company and mm -hmm. like, you know, yeah, so. yeah. I think that's super yep. important. I, I think that's really interesting. We'll have to try and find the um, the presentation that you're talking about and and put it into the notes. But um, one thing I also wanted to kind of cover is where do you think teams should not cut budget? Because mm -hmm. I think 
some like yeah. and I think you kind of mentioned this is like people will, won't use data to like back their decisions. But do you think there's any areas yeah. <clears throat> that people should maybe really think twice before cutting because it could, you know, impact their marketing, uh, you know, negatively? Yeah. Um, it's really paid ads. You know what I mean? Like, and that's where times like this, and there's like a lot of studies, you know, that companies that continue to market and advertise during a you know recession come out stronger oftentimes or mm. as leaders, you know, or a different position afterwards. Um, and there's a couple of reasons, you know, ads are cheaper right now, you know, yeah. is one thing. So uh-huh. there's, you know, there's more inventory. And so um, you can, so like, for example, right now, our demand event is coming up uh, end of October and we have this big 10,000 registration goal to hit. And um, we sp- we're spending a couple hundred thousand dollars in advertising. And what's been nice about right now is our CPLs are lower than our projections because we were going off of last year. So you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Historical data. And it's literally probably 25% less, you know, than we were yeah. seeing last year. Um, and I talk about this, that kind of ad, cause that's an easy ad for somebody to click through. You know what I mean? It's not a demo. It's just like, it's a free right. event, you know? And so yeah. um, uh, kind of apples to apples from last year. Um, but it's like, keep advertising, but keep the stuff that's working, you know, like right. that's, the, that's like, yes, yes, sure. Cut some ads. Yes. You know, definitely. Cause you're probably wasting money right now. Um, but keep it as high as you can, you know, because, mm-hmm. uh, especially if that's your primary lead source, you know, like demo mm-hmm. source, uh, for sure. Then you don't want to cut back too far. Um, but and what I saw is like when we first started some of the recession stuff, yeah, um, all of my efficiencies remain the same in marketing all the way to pipeline. Mm. And then what we saw is the stuff wouldn't close. You know what I mean? And so like yeah. you also want to make sure because what I did is is we did some cuts and I kept spending for three months at the same level because I'm like, hey, all <laughs> Now I'm now I'm paying the piper for that, but you know at the time I was like, hey, maybe we'll maybe this recession is false, you know, maybe we'll come out of this, and then if I keep spending, then I'll keep up, you know, we'll keep pace. Well, eh, all my numbers stayed the same, but then sales wasn't able to close, you know, like probably five million of my pipeline, um, and that was like okay. So then that was a sign for me too. It was like okay, I can't just be you know full all the even all the way to pipeline. I was fine, you know what I mean, like all mm-hmm. the way to like cost per dollar of pipeline, but then the delays, you know, and like people not making decisions, you know, about their budgets Mm -hmm. and those kinds of things then started hitting it. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, oh, um, I think it was the right decision because that's still all demand, you know what I mean? It came in and we were able to give demos to, um, but now I'm having to cut even a little bit more to kind of make up for that because, um, because, you know, the recession didn't stop in three months. (laughs) (laughs) I am not an economist. And so like, yeah, that's very clear. Like three months. Yeah, no problem. We're good. (laughs) Well, there's so much uncertainty too, of like where things were going and it's even uncertain now. Like we see glimpses of, you know, things getting better and it's, but we are, what we think about, we are kind of like almost like nine months deep into it now, like pretty much. uh, So, um, but I think, one thing to your point, like you can maybe adjust a little bit more now, but at least you have that pipeline that's been built up. And those are all people that you can return back to. You can run campaigns against to reactivate them. Sales has those relationships. Um, and so that's better than I think what a lot of marketers do is they just halt everything. And yeah. then 
they have no momentum on anything. And then they, you know, what if things did change six months later? Oh, shit, we don't have any pipeline, you know, and then it takes a long time to then generate it. So I think having that buffer, thinking about the future, yes, it's going to be slower to close, but at least you can kind of, you know, go back to that, um, those deals or those people instead of just like this really quick, oh, shit moment, which is harder to trail back from. So yeah, I, yeah, I, sure. I, agree, I think I agree with you, especially on the paid ads part is like, just kind of invest into the things that are working, but also it's a good time to just also like experiment when things are mm-hmm. really cheap. Um, yeah. if you have always struggled to be competitive against some of your like competitive keywords and stuff like that, they're cheaper now. So it's a good time yeah. to maybe get there and be seen. Um, and also, you know, do some of those tests, but I think, like you said, like that's within reason, I think, but know that like continuing things there and not stopping, I think is super important because momentum is just key. Like it's so Mm -hmm. hard to go back from, you know, has anyone been on a run and then you accidentally have to stop because, you know, you're, I don't know, something happened, you have to tie your shoe or your kids complaining or something. And then, <laughs> and then it's so hard. You're like, wait, this is so much harder to start back up again. That's a, kind of yeah. exactly the same thing with marketing. You want to like keep things in motion because it'll just be so much easier than having to start back up again. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and you know, another thing we're not cutting is content, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, I think that's another important one. Um, content is, it, you know, this is maybe not the time to start to invest in content. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you're cutting budgets and like, cause that's a long game, but if you were investing in content um, and that is a material part of, you know, the experience, mm-hmm. then that's the other area where we're not, you know, we're definitely not cutting. I mean, I trimmed a little bit, you know, but I just wanted to make sure we trimmed mostly by going out to some of our partners and just asking for discounts. You know what I mean? And mm. um, mostly freelance, you know, like freelance or uh, SEO, uh, SEO companies that we work with, um, and just asked for like, Hey, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't want, we don't want to churn, you know, but we want to still work with you. Can you work with us for a little while? And, um, again, because we're, we're friendly people, you know, we're nice to work with, I think is part of it. Um, they're willing to help out, you know, a lot of them, if they could, they, they did. Um, so yeah, yeah. yeah content, I think, uh, especially if you do good content, you know, like quality content that, Right. Uh, your audience really does engage with. Um, you can't really let that go. Um, and then events, you know, if you're doing your own event, now event sponsorships, I'd say like, yeah, that's really up to you. You know, I don't do them um, just because I've never really had success. I will, you know, if like the right opportunity is presented to me, yeah. you know, with like the right cool thing to do. But, um, but if you're doing your own event, that's, I think, um, people still want to get together. You know, people still want right. to network. They still want to have that experience. Uh, events, your own events are really, really good ways of building relationship with either clients or prospects, um, showing them how you work, you know? And so I think mm-hmm. events, your own event, again, your own event. Um, and even if they're just like little networking dinners and stuff, you know, like those kinds of things, I think still, if you can support those, I think those are still good to do. Obviously, they don't touch as many people, um, but the people they touch, like, it's in a deep way, you know, and Mm -hmm. um, we just did two customer events, 
one in San Fran and one in New York in August. And we hadn't done one yet, you know, really, because, you know, pandemic. And that's really mm. where we started to grow was right in the beginning of the pandemic. And so um, it was awesome. You know, it was great to get the customers together, have them network, get to meet them. They got to spend some time with our CEO and other leaders in the company. It was just like really good. And then we had a really awesome experience, you know. Um, mm -hmm. We did some fun things and different things. And so uh, I think those experiences will resonate with people. You know, they just stay with people. Yeah. You know, and I yeah. think they, those things can pay dividends from a relationship standpoint, from a commercial standpoint. Um, so, yeah, I think events, a loose term, but just like getting together, you know, with your, your customers and prospects and spending time with them, I think is, um, is something not to cut. Yeah. I think it's like the customer like when it comes to like that high touch or like the customer experience, prospect experience, like you said, it pays dividends, especially in the, you know, when your customers are happy, well, one maintaining them, but yeah. then, uh, two, which marketers, you know, we're always, especially a startup are focused on new business, but like, you still want to maintain your current book of business. That's how yep. companies uh, scale. But, um, the, uh, you know, like I said, they can be great word of mouth. I mean, the way that people buy technologies these days, right? And mar marketing tools, marketing ops tools, especially. You, you're not like really going to a trade show and going yep. through those booths, but you're really like going to communities and yep. asking people and, you know, talking to your peers. Like it's a really tight group of people. I know I've had a, mainly a lot of them on this podcast <laughs> and they all engage with each other. And so when you, I think, delight your customers, like you said, that's a, that's a differentiator as well. Like, yes, you could yeah. be that smaller company, smaller tool, but like when you're keeping them happy, you have, like you make them feel seen. Like how many times are you a customer with technology and can they, you get an email that barely even talks to you like you're a customer and you're like, <laughs> wow, like <laughs> yeah. you can't even get to customer support, you know, that plays a big impact on churn, but also your willingness to invest your own time in the, in the tool, but also, um, you know, talk about them, talk about the yeah. company, like, oh, wow, metadata, like, yeah, they're awesome. I just met with them, seeing all the cool things that are their clients are doing too, um, you know, creating that community to share ideas like that all like has benefits that will last beyond this, you know, hopefully not very long <laughs> slowdown. Um, so totally. Yeah. Agree. And yeah. And like, and a lot of those things you were talking about are hard to measure or almost totally. impossible to measure the impact on the bottom line or, you know, on revenue. And so, and I, you know, I always give credit to, our CEO Gil, because he was a marketer, you know, yeah. uh, which is hard. Sometimes it's hard to work for a, you know, a CEO that was a marketer and that'll be, yes. you know, <laughs> um, but he's never, you know, of course I came in and I drove demand from day one and I drove demand, you know, really well and I proved myself from the beginning. But, you know, since then he doesn't, I don't have to have data, you know, like I don't have to have like discrete, like linear data that yeah. shows like, Oh, this community just drove $200,000 of ARR. You know, I don't have to have that. There's this general understanding that the, 
these kinds of things are the right things to do. Right. And if we do them well, they will ultimately lead to revenue, you know? Um, And so I get to do like build a community and have, and start small with it, you know, in a beta way and like grow the community in a organic way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Without like some big goals to get a bunch of people in the community and um, let's do it the right way, you know? And same thing with our demand conference. It's like, you know, the kinds of speakers we would want to listen to and we would want to go and sit down and spend a day with, you know? and not charging people for it, you know, and that kind of thing. Um, and like, yeah. that's where I think some marketers have that innate ability, but they're limited by their leadership, you know? And right. so I just want to acknowledge that. It's like, there's a lot of marketers out there that they want to do this kind of stuff. You know, they want to have a community they want, but their leadership is like, cool. So then can you, you know, can you drive $2 million of revenue from the community in the first week, you know? And they're just like, right. put these weird, crazy expectations on it. Um, and then you don't do it right, you know, or you don't do right. it at all. And so I just, you know, I always like to acknowledge that because it's easy to talk about what's the right thing to do, but just also acknowledging there's a lot of leadership out there that we just won't let you do the right things. You know, it's just like totally. lame. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you touched on that. It makes me think of, I know a metadata friend and advisor, but like Dave Gearhart always says, you know, don't want to work for a CEO mm-hmm. who doesn't understand marketing and yep. Um, but I, I think also thinking about the downstream effects, it's not just like a CEO, but sometimes even like you said, just like marketing leadership, like I think yeah. sometimes you get, they maybe are so removed and they, this is a benefit yes. maybe to you with having an analytics background, you know, that the <laughs> models are made up. You are doing <laughs> yep. your best yep. to come yep. up with this and you know that there's things getting missed. And so it comes down to, you know, not throwing away the data, but using it the best you can. But also know there's limitations and you got to use common sense and you got to like know what's just good marketing. Um, And I think a lot of the time, yeah, like marketers get stifled by like, we have to do things that are on a dashboard or every opportunity needs to have a source tied to it and fight and, and, and it puts a lot of even uh, stress on marketing ops folks, right? Because they're yep. they're trying to say, okay, I'm trying to make this data perfect, but it's never perfect, right? right. But the nope. expectation is that it will be. So I'm glad you, you said that because I think that's a lot of what we try to do on the education. A lot, a lot of these things is like educating, okay? But um, if you have the leadership who understands that too, you won't be, you, you get to do the things that, Makes sense. I I always use this example of I worked in demand gen before starting CS2 and mops and um, at a startup. And I was like, we should do a podcast. Like, I, I think that, <laughs> and this was, you know, yeah, nine yeah. years ago, but I was yeah, like, yeah, oh, before I see. it was like, yeah, but everyone did. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> and I was like, I feel like they're going to be popular. You know, executives are busy. They don't have time, but they have commutes or they have like maybe some free time, but they're not going to be at the computer. Like we were selling to security people and I'm like, well, maybe let's try out like a conversational podcast. And um, the CEO was like, no one does podcasts, you know? <laughs> exactly. Can- you're like, and you're yeah. like, exactly. You're like, you yes, thank you for noticing that. By now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 um, yeah. And so, but I think it was also, it's like, where's the pipeline going to come from that? And I think so yeah. that, that was always like the, the thinking behind it. So. I think marketers are changing, leadership's changing, especially as marketers maybe even go into leaders, but you do have that that benefit, um, yeah. which is good. Yeah, okay, I want to end nice. with one final question that I can sneak through. So I think no marketers sometimes are still trying to get some request 
push yes. through or they need yes. some budgets to like say, you know, especially marketing ops, like they want to hold on to their tool or they want to keep a vendor. Yep. What's the best way that they can effectively like ask to maintain that or keep it or get, you know, push it through? Yeah. Um, great question. So the first thing to understand is like, when we're trying to cut budget, we're trying to cut annualized spend. So like, that's really the thing to think, to keep in mind yeah. is like, we're looking for things that are just, you're, you're spending every month on something. Um, tools fall into that. You pay for it once, but usually, you know, budgets are amortized over the year. Mm -hmm. um, headcount, obviously that's ongoing. So you're, you're, you're really the CFO and finance are looking to cut things that just are ongoing. And so one simple thing, and this is what I do when I cut my budget, I, I cut it hard. You know what I mean? To the point where like, I almost can't do anything now except run ads, you know, and like do a couple of things. Because then what I do is I go back with little business cases for little smaller things that I want to do. And they're not annualized. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh, okay, I want to do this event. Oh, we have this opportunity to do this event. You know, oh, shoot, I don't have the budget for it. Darn. Uh, this is going to be the this can be the result of that, you know, and as yeah. long as there's some kind of commercial result, um, ideally, then I'll get a thumbs up, you know, because there's more money there. We're just trying to protect runway, right? And runway, right. you need to reduce, remove the things that are like annualized expenses. So that's one way to think about it. And trust me, your finance, and your leadership teams are thinking about it in that same way. And so like push on that a little bit, see if you can get like a little bit of project money here and there, like $40,000 here, you know, $20,000 there and do like fun, interesting things with it that, you know, prove out that you can, you know, the result is what you close to at least what you said it was going to be. Mm -hmm. um, the harder ones are the annualized spend. And so that's where now if you're just given a hard number like, hey, all right, you just got to cut 15 percent, you know, then that's one thing. But if you're if you have the decision, you know, of like um, or if you have the ability to keep some stuff in there uh, or make a case for it, then it's it comes back to the data, you know. Leadership is looking to cut tools that they can't make a direct line to some kind of a revenue or lift from it. And they're really looking for, all right, how much am I spending on that tool? And then how much is that tool giving me in profit, basically? Mm -hmm. And so if you can somehow show, and I would actually, when I bought tools, even, you know, at big companies, I would say the same thing. It's like, if I'm going to spend $10,000, I need to show $10,001 of, you know, <laughs> of revenue from this thing, because then it's at least a, you know, a, very, a, a positive uh, ROI on that, on that technology spend. And so the better and more clear you can tell that story. So you got to be pretty good with data. You know, you want to be yeah. good with data. Mm -hmm. uh, you can tell that story and make a business case. Then it's almost like you, you want to put it in a way where if they say no, it's almost like they're making a stupid choice. You know, it's like, yeah. you said no to this ROI, you know, I'm going to spend $10,000. I'm going to make 30,000. And there's no other way for me to make that 30,000. And you said, no. All right. You know, you just like, Okay. Yeah, okay. I don't know what we're doing here now, you know? <laughs> um, and so you just put it in a way where, and I got real, I've gotten really good at making business cases on this kind of stuff, because mm -hmm. like you said earlier, a lot of our models are just kind of like, you know, finger in the air. I think mm -hmm. this is right. But if you know your audience and you can get that model to like, and you, of course, you're not, you don't want to lie about it. You want to know right. you have a chance of hitting it. You know, of course, you know, you don't want to just lie and get the money and then, oh, shoot, sorry, not the yeah. results. Because um, you're going to be measured on that. By oh, the way. yeah, for sure. <laughs> yes, yes, 100%. They, were go they will be looking at you. Yeah. Um, when you, when they make that investment, it's an investment, you know, they're thinking of it like an investment, yeah. really. And so, but, um, but yeah, just be able to tell a clear story with data and defend it with the data. And then it's kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, let's keep doing that. And maybe let's go look over there for, you know, cuts. Yeah, for sure. I think this is where if you work in Manjin or you're head of marketing, you definitely want to partner with 
your, you know, mops teams or, um, you know, your data analysts, like if you're not on, if you're unable to like, even understand what's happening there, like that's a good time to start that relationship. And then, um, for the, for those who do manage that data and, and, uh, we're going to actually do a podcast in two weeks talking all about ROI and a discussion on ROI, but, um, the, um, you know, this is your time to really even create that, like prove, you know, you have the keys to the kingdom there. You probably know how to get that data. You can probably prove that and then, uh, use it to your own advantage, um, to make these yeah. business cases, even yourself. Um, I think even for a lot for resources, cause I think marketing apps are already under-resourced <laughs> and like you said, people, yeah. And program like programs are still running, you know, goals don't change, but then if the resources or people to get things done is impacted, like you're definitely want to gonna, you know, make the case for it. But, you know, like you said, there's a lot of stuff though, that is maybe annualized that you could cut and like start there too, but you have to, you have the data to give you, uh, those insights as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like that. Well, this was an awesome conversation. I think super uh, informative from for marketing leaders to management folks, all the marketing ops. Um, so, thank you so much, Jason, for being on and and sharing your own stories and how your you know all your success, but also all of your you know trials and triumphs <laughs> at metadata <Yep>. through this time. <laughs> um, I'm excited for that. You guys are still doing your demand event. I think it's one of the you know best events for. Uh, B2B marketers, really. So we'll uh, also be including um, a link to uh, about that in the show notes. And for those of you who want to connect with Jason, you can find him on LinkedIn and anywhere else that they can learn more about you or metadata. No, pretty much. Yeah, just metadata.io. Um, and yeah, uh, find me on LinkedIn. Um, I try to have fun on LinkedIn too. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're not following metadata on LinkedIn, you should, because actually they're one of the best company pages, I think. Um, out there uh, sharing some really cool and funny stuff. So um, yeah, for those of you who enjoyed this episode of Forward Thinking, feel free to share it with your colleagues and friends or give us a review or like. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Have a good one. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Chrissy.